All right. As I said this morning, uh, this and the announcements, this morning's sermon is going to be a little bit different. I'd normally have you pull out your Bibles right now, but this morning's uh, sermon is on one verse, and we're only going to read that verse at the end of the sermon. So, here we go. The year is 48 AD, roughly 15 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. Paul stands before the Jerusalem Council, along with his mentor, Barnabas, where they await a letter that they are to take to Antioch to settle the question about what to do with the Gentile believers who have come into the church. Before departing for Antioch, the elders, along with the apostles and all the members of the church of Jerusalem, call on Paul and Barnabas to take the brother Silas with them as they go. And so Paul, Barnabas, and Silas make their way down to the church at Antioch. They deliver the letter, and they begin to make preparations for their next missionary journey. Paul thinks it would be a good idea to go back to the churches that they planted on the first missionary journey and to strengthen them with the preaching and the teaching of God's word. Right now, these young churches are like aluminum foil, and he wants them to be like reinforced steel. So he says, let's go back and visit them. But nothing ever really goes as planned in ministry, not even for the apostles. As Paul and Barnabas begin to hammer out the details about the journey, they fail to see eye to eye on some things, mainly who they're going to take with them. Finally, they decide to part ways. So Barnabas takes John Mark and he heads off in one direction. Paul takes this brother Silas from the church in Jerusalem and they head off into Syria. Now, as Paul and Silas travel from Antioch to Syria, Syria, Cilicia, Cilicia to Derbe, they're strengthening the churches, they're preaching the word, and then they come to Lystra. When they arrive in the city of Lystra, they meet a young believer named Timothy. When they meet this young man, they're quite impressed with him, and not only are they impressed with him, but they come to find out that he's held in high regard amongst all the believers there in Lystra. Despite his age, he seems to be a rock-solid believer. And not only is Timothy a strong Christian, but he also comes from a unique family background. His mom is a Jew. His father is Greek. What that means is that he is uniquely gifted to be able to navigate two different worlds, the Jewish world and the Greek world, which is, well, very important to someone like the Apostle Paul who wants to go and preach the gospel to the Jews and Greeks alike. So Paul and Silas decide to take young Timothy with them, and off they go, hitting the road. Now things don't really go very well for the trio as they make their way through what was then called Asia. God is sovereign, obviously, but ministry is tough. And it seems like every gospel door that this trio tries to walk through is locked from the inside. Before long, the Spirit of God redirects them to go to Macedonia. If you're not familiar with Macedonia, it's kind of Paul's first foray into what we would now think of as Europe. So the Spirit directs Paul and Silas and Timothy to Macedonia, and there are an abundance of fresh gospel opportunities waiting for them there in the land. Getting there, however, is a little bit of a wild ride. They have to take a detour through the city of Philippi, where they find themselves in prison, There's a miraculous rescue from prison there, but that's from 
That's for another sermon. And then in God's good timing, Paul and Silas and Timothy finally make their way to Macedonia. They pass through cities that seem to not be very strategically important, cities like Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they head to the most important city in the region, the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a city of grandeur and prestige. It is one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire with over 100,000 citizens. They can feel the life of the city reverberating as they enter into it. Thessalonica is strategically located. It's a hub of commerce. It's on one of the most important Roman roads, the Via Ignatia. There are mines and farmlands and fisheries by river and by sea. Like the city of Corinth and Rome, Thessalonica is one of the most important cities in the empire. You can think about it like uh, Boston or Philadelphia in colonial America. One contemporary of the Apostle Paul has this to say about Thessalonica. So long as nature does not change, Thessalonica will remain wealthy and fortunate. Thessalonica is also a religiously diverse city, making room for all different kinds of cults and religions. They are the hosts to all of the Greco-Roman pantheon. There are Egyptian cults. The Jews have their synagogue. And perhaps most important of all, there is the Roman imperial cult. Now, Thessalonica is a strange place to be in the days of Rome because unlike other cities in the empire during this time, Thessalonica is a free city. She is under Rome, but she's not really under Rome. She's so free, in fact, that she can mint her own coins. She can elect her own officials. And there is no military presence there in the city. No citizen of Thessalonica has ever heard the heavy footfall of a Roman centurion passing through their city streets. This is a big deal. This is a, a good deal. It's such a good deal, in fact, that everyone in the city is very anxious to make sure that no one and nothing comes along and ruins this very good deal that they have with Rome. And that is very bad news for Paul and his mission in the city. So as Paul and his crew enter into Thessalonica and make their way to the heart of the city, they, they do what they do everywhere they go. They make a, a beeline straight to the synagogue, right? The gospel first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. It's not that the Gentiles don't matter. It's just that the Jews are who they go to first. So they go to the synagogue. They reason with the Jews there. They, they try to tell them Jesus is the promised Messiah. All in all, Paul spends roughly three weeks there in the city of Thessalonica, reasoning with them from the scriptures. And God seems to bless Paul's ministry. Many Jews come to place their faith in Jesus, along with a tremendous number of Greeks. That does not go over well in the city. Word gets around that Paul, this Paul that has been going and causing problems in other cities, is preaching a gospel that says that Jesus is king. Now that's a problem, you see, because by way of implication, that means that Caesar is not king. 
the citizens of Thessalonica begin to fear. They're afraid that Paul and his preaching will ruin this good deal that they have with Rome. Now, there are a number of Jews there in the city that are very hostile to Paul and the gospel that he's preaching. They think that he's a heretic, a schismatic. They think that he's trying to start a new cult. So they take advantage of this fear. They latch onto it. They use it for their purposes. They begin to form a mob. The mob grows. Then it begins to tear through the city streets. Finally, the mob makes its way to the house of Jason. We don't know much about Jason. We just know that he was rich and that apparently he cared a lot for the Apostle Paul and his gospel. So the mob comes to Jason's house, tries to flush Paul out, but the believers there, they won't have any part in it. They protect Paul. And as soon as it's safe, they shuttle him away by night. Not just him, but Silas and Timothy as well. They send them on to the next city, the city of Berea. And as as you can imagine, it doesn't take Paul very long once he gets into Berea to make a beeline straight to the synagogue, where he once again reasons with the Jews from the scriptures that Jesus is the resurrected Christ. Paul's ministry sees great success in Berea. The Bereans are more noble than the Thessalonians. They listen to what he has to say. And many Jews come to know Christ. Many Greeks come to know Christ. His ministry is so successful in Berea that the people in Thessalonica hear about it. And they are not happy about it. We kicked him out of Thessalonica not so that he could go start a revolution in Berea. So what do they do? They import the mob from Thessalonica to Berea. And another mob begins to form. And once again, they have to, the brothers there in the city have to protect Paul and Silas and Timothy. And they have to shuttle them away by night over to the next city, which is the city of Athens. Except this time, Paul set sail alone. This time, Silas and Timothy don't go with him on to the next leg of the journey. Why? Well, you see, Paul, for some reason, he can't stop thinking about the Thessalonian Christians. He only spent three weeks with them there, but he seems to love them so much. He can't get them off of his mind. So as he sets sail to Athens, he leaves Silas and Timothy behind in Berea, and he tells them, you go back to Thessalonica, and you put things in order there. You take care of that church. You make sure that they have everything that they could possibly need. It's very much like what he told Titus. I'm leaving you in Crete so you can put the church there in order. The same kind of thing. So with this plan in place, Paul sets sail to the next city, the city of Athens. Thessalonica, Berea, Athens. You guys tracking? Now Paul had not planned to be in Athens, but as soon as he gets there, he sees a graveyard of idols. And his heart is stirred within him. So he begins to preach the gospel to the people there in the city. He sees very little success. In this land of philosophers where everything moves quickly and every idea is new and flashy, his gospel can't really seem to take root. So he moves on to the next city, the city of Corinth. Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth from my note takers, okay? Now, as you can imagine, Paul does not break with tradition when he gets to Corinth. Where do you guys think he goes when he gets there? Right to the synagogue, right? Lather, rinse, repeat. 
things are not really going well for Paul in the city of Corinth. At least not at first. Many of the locals there oppose his gospel message. At one point, Luke records in the book of Acts that Paul becomes so frustrated with their hardness of heart that he just, he, he just lets go. He goes apoplectic. He says, fine, your blood be on your own heads. From now on, I'm going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, it's during this time, during this time in his, the city of Corinth that Paul begins to grow anxious over the Thessalonians. He, he loved the Thessalonians before, and he wanted to know how the Thessalonians were doing, but he's been away from them now for several months. He hasn't heard any news. He doesn't know what's going on. Is there still persecution? He's, he's growing anxious about them. Had the Jews gone back to the temple? Had the Greeks gone back to the pantheon? And finally, he can't take it anymore. He calls for Silas and Timothy to come back to him and to tell him, to give him a report how the church is doing in Thessalonica. And it doesn't take long for Silas and Timothy to make their way back to Paul. And when they arrive, they come bearing news. The situation in Thessalonica is interesting. The church is apparently still suffering persecution from without. And on top of that, there are doctrinal disputes within. Well, more like doctrinal questions, concerns. The Thessalonian Christians, they've heard rumor that maybe Christ has already come back and we missed the boat. On top of that, it seems like a number of Christians have died since Paul left, and the Thessalonians are wondering if Jesus did come back and these people died and missed it, what does that mean for them and for their soul and for the resurrection? The Thessalonian church is apparently not without her struggles, which church is. And yet, there is much good news to share with the Apostle Paul. Silas and Timothy tell Paul that the faith and the love of the Thessalonians is enduring, even in the midst of suffering. He tells Paul that the Thessalonians still remember him fondly, that they pray for him regularly, and that they're eager to see him again. Come back to us, Paul. Don't just send your lackeys. Come back to us yourself. But don't misunderstand, friends. It's not like the Thessalonians are merely surviving in the midst of these trials. As Silas and Timothy tell it, the Thessalonians are actually thriving in the midst of these trials. They're becoming a hub of gospel activity. Their faithfulness, their love, their evangelistic endeavors are like a trumpet blast that's sounding forth from Macedonia out to the rest of Europe. Paul couldn't be any happier to hear this good news. He loves the Thessalonians like a young mother who loves a nursing infant. And yet he can't go back to them. He's very much needed in the city of Corinth where it appears that the tide has begun to shift in his favor. Just recently, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, and his entire family have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ for salvation. On top of that, God gives Paul a vision saying, I know you're tired, I know you're frustrated, I know you want to leave, but don't go. Stay here in the city of Corinth. I've got people here, I've got a plan here. You have to remain. 
And when God sends you a vision telling you to stay in a city, you stay in the city. So, Paul stays in Corinth. Even though he's thinking of Thessalonica fondly and often. Now, the apostle may not be able to visit his beloved Thessalonians, but he can write to them. And so he does. One night, maybe after a long day of tent making in the sun, with even more preaching and teaching in the synagogue, Paul calls Silas to him. Tells him to grab the pen and the ink to sit down so they can write a letter to the church at Thessalonica. The letter begins like this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Let's pray. Father, we know that you have given your grace and your peace to your children, all those that you have called to yourself. We pray that as we begin this study in the book of Thessalonians, that you will help us to love the church the same way that Paul loved the Christians at Thessalonica. We pray that you will help us to bask in the glories of the gospel, to rejoice in the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you'd help us to be attentive to your word, and we pray that you would change us as we study it over the next several months. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Please stand.